<laughs> I was in uh, Rock City up in Chattanooga in the, um, in the gift shop. I watched a couple with, um, with what was obviously their grandson, or at least seemed to be, and uh, he was walking around looking at all the toys and the trinkets and everything right there at his fingertips. And, <clears throat> and he, he reached out for something that he just had to have. And his grandmother reached into her purse uh, for the money to, to buy it. But what I assumed to have been her husband, the, assumed to have been her, the grandfather, stopped her. And he was a little bit agitated. And he said... Let me buy this one. Now, as a grandfather, I think I know what was going on. It was like, you've bought enough of his affection. Let me buy a little of his affection. In the days of Micah, people wondered out loud, what would it take to, to buy God's affection, his favor? They wondered out loud. They, they asked, would it take a calf? Oh, no, no, they began with a lamb. A lamb? No, maybe a calf. Or maybe a thousand rams. Or maybe rivers of olive oil. Or maybe our firstborn child. What kind of sacrifice, they asked, would it take to earn the favor of Almighty God? We don't talk about lambs and rams. We think about other ways of earning God's favor. You know, you come to church every once in a while and put a few bucks in the Salvation Army kettle and volunteer at the, at the shelter. And many of you know I, I, I love to read Rick Bragg. He, he talked about trying to earn God's favor by being nice to his mama. His, when he was growing up, his mom would bring in ironing and she cleaned floors because, to, to support Rick and his brother because their dad was not doing a good job at that. And, so then when he grew up and became a popular author, he, he said, you know, I've got some money now. I can help out my mom. He said, I was making enough money to help her with little things like groceries and doctor bills. I was trying to bribe my way into glory, a $50 bill at the time. But Micah says to Rick Bragg and to his original audience and to you and me, you know better than that. God's looking for substance. And so what does the Lord require of you, Micah, made clear to them? Three things, to do justice, and love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Let's talk about each of those. Number one, to do justice. Now, I've admitted before that I'm not a, a scholar of the biblical languages. I'm less competent in Hebrew, the Old Testament language, even than in Greek, the New Testament language. But I do have some really good books. And so this week I dug in to, to wrestle with that word that's translated justice. Because justice, in our context, we, if somebody says justice, we tend to think, well, uh, they get what they deserve. But it's, I know it's a richer word than that, so I, I dug in. There is a, an English word that communicates the breadth and the depth of that word. Well, first of all, it's the Hebrew word mishpat, mishpat. So that's what I, the one I, I dug into. And there's, a, there's an English word that, that communicates the breadth and the depth of that word mishpat. And it is the word rectification. 
or making things right. So to do justice is, is to make things right. There is a judicial element to that word mishpat, meaning that in the court system that everybody's treated fairly regardless of the hue of their skin or the accent of their tongue, regardless of their connections or lack of connections, regardless of their wealth or lack of wealth, that, that, that justice really is blind and that everybody is treated fairly. That's the judicial application to mishpat. But there is a societal application, a social application to mishpat or to justice or to rectification. And that is making sure everybody, as much as is possible in an imperfect society, that, that everybody has an equal opportunity, that everybody has the same chance at success, regardless of the hue of their skin or the accent of their tongue, regardless of their connections or lack of connections, regardless of their wealth or lack of wealth. It's, it's making sure that as best we can, there is an equal playing field for everybody. Now, works of relief are important to when we relieve people's suffering, like taking food to people who are hungry or short of food. That's a, an act of relief, and that's important. Taking coat, you know, we do coat drives, taking coats to people who might get cold in the winter. That's an act of relief and very important. It is Christ-like. Works of relief are Christ-like. And I hope we as individuals and as a church always will do acts of relief. But acts of justice is, are, are a little bit different and probably harder. The act of justice, make it societally, making sure everybody is, uh, is, has the, is, as best possible has the equal opportunities, means that we have to make sure that policies and practices are, are just. Maybe this story will help you with the difference between relief and justice. When Carrie and I were just dating in uh, college, one fall, I'm pretty sure it was the fall of 1980, we went up to Okoe, the river in Tennessee. And uh, I told you once about us falling into that river. I'm going to tell you today the rest of the story. So there were four couples. We, we, it was in the fall. It, the weather was cold. The water in, the, of the Okoe is always cold. So we, uh, <clears throat> there were four couples, two rafts. There were two couples uh, who had experience. They had run the rapids before, maybe multiple times. And there were two couples who had absolutely no experience. Carrie and I were one of the two couples that had no experience. Well, the two couples who had experience jumped into the same raft <laughs> and thought it was really funny that they would be in that raft and that the two novice couples would be in the other raft. So they took off and we took off. And to somewhat shorten the story, we got to a rough part and one of those swirly thingies in the, in the rapids and the boat thumped over and lodged against the rock. We, we grabbed the rock and we, I, it was in the chilly waters of the Okoe. We were hanging on. Well, there was someone on the bank with a rope. And so they came out onto the rocks as close as they could and threw us the rope and dragged us out. I don't remember exactly how we got the, the boat right side up, but we did. And like knuckleheads, we got back in the boat <laughs> and went down the rest of the river, but made it safe, safely and successfully to the, to the end. 
Well, now, thank God for those people on the bank with a rope. That was an act of relief. They relieved our suffering. They, they saved us from that situation. But there was somebody who thought, you know, we can do more than just throw ropes to people in the Okoe. Somebody went to the powers that be. I think the TVA owns the Okoe. Whoever is in charge of the Okoe, somebody went to them and said, you know what? We can throw ropes to people in the water till Jesus comes. But what if we were to change the policies and the practices so that fewer people fall in the water? So now, if you go down the Okoe, you have to have a what? A guide. And now, even inexperienced people like us have a better chance at being safe and successful in going down the river. Acts of relief are really important, but sometimes it's important also to help make sure that the policies and practices in place give everybody as equal an opportunity as possible at navigating life's waters safely and successfully. That's the difference between relief justice. So, do justice. Second, love mercy. The word mercy there is faithful, undeserved love, compassion, and tenderness. In God's economy, there is there's judgment and there's mercy. And in, in God's economy, the scales tip toward mercy. That's what James 2.13 says. Mercy trumps judgment. James 2.13. Mercy trumps judgment. So what would it mean for, in in everyday life, for mercy to, to trump judgment? Well, Kristen Prasad told us a story about her and their son Tiernan. Tiernan had graduated from the University of Virginia and they were driving back south. When they were passed by a car driving so fast it could, could be considered recklessness. Now, I know what I think when somebody passes me like that. I usually say, uh, knucklehead or something like that. And, and then I hope, I, I always hope that there's a policeman up there. <laughs> and that they get, that those reckless folks get pulled over. Because my first thought is, judgment. Well, this car came flying by them, and Tiernan said to his mom, you know, the woman in that car must be in labor. Say, that's mercy, not, uh, that's like, I don't know the whole story. Maybe there's more to this than what meets the eye. Maybe there's a reason why they're driving so fast. So what if we were to What if when uh, we hear on the news or see, you know, on our phone, the news feed, what if we were to hear that a 22-year-old has been shot in a drug deal? Honestly, for many of us, our first response is judgment. Shouldn't have been there. Probably deserved it. What if we were the kind of people whose first response is, wow, his family must be devastated. and, And I wonder what went wrong in his life that he ended up there. What if when we meet people whose choices and lifestyles 
and beliefs are different from ours. What if our, what if our first thought was that of, of compassion instead of judgment? And the judgment does not Judgment does not excuse bad behavior. Judgment does not, excuse me, mercy. Mercy does not excuse bad behavior. Mercy does not shield people from the the consequences of, of bad choices. Mercy does, mercy doesn't overlook things, but mercy, mercy tempers our tendency to judge too quickly because mercy remembers that everybody bears the image of God and God loves everybody deeply. Mercy remembers that we never know the whole story. Mercy gives people the benefit of the doubt and mercy mercy gives people second and third chances. Psalm, or James 2.13 says, uh, mercy trumps judgment. And Psalm 85.10 says, mercy and truth are met together. Mercy and truth are met together. Mercy without truth is sentimentalism. And truth without mercy is legalism. And neither is Christian. We're walking through a hard conversation about the trans, we're having the transgender conversation on Wednesdays. And it's a hard conversation. Six o'clock, Life Center, everybody's welcome. You know, I have a, what I feel is a responsibility as a pastor to speak truth as I understand it, meaning I, I feel like I have to speak what I believe to be biblical truth about sexuality, biblical sexuality, about the sanctity of the human body and about what, frankly, I believe is a, a cult-like subculture that is, that is luring kids and teens. But, but I have to make sure that truth and mercy meet together in what I, what I say. Because to speak truth angrily and disrespectfully is unchristian. To speak truth from a distance without relationship is futile. It's useless. Nobody ever will consider our perspective if we don't care enough to know people and listen to their stories. I'm still learning about people who identify as transgender. But there's something I knew before I began this study. Jesus said, I'm to love my neighbor. And people who identify as transgender, wherever they are, are my neighbors. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that if I just smile when I say what I'm going to say, that everybody's going to thank me for my opinion. I I get that. But I can choose to be kind. Do justice. Make sure that everybody, as much as is possible in an imperfect society, has an equal opportunity. Two, do, do mercy. For remember Judge, uh, uh, James 2.13, mercy triumphs over judgment in Hebrews, excuse me, Psalm 85.10, that, that mercy and truth must be met together. 
Do justice, love mercy, and then the final, walk humbly with God. On July the 23rd, 1983, at the 12th Street Baptist Church in Gadsden, Alabama, I stood at the altar. Right in front of me was my soon-to-be father-in-law. To my right was my father, and up here in front of me was my uncle, who was also a minister, and, and beside me was Carrie Ellen Williams. And we were about to get married. And, but before we did the vows, I sang to her. Now, it might sound silly to you, but I, I sang to her. And the words I sang were, walk hand in hand with me, have faith, believe in me, give me your hand. Now, was I asking her to hold my hand for the next 75 years? No, no. Walk with me was, was an invitation to stick together through the ups and the downs and the thicks and the thins. Walk with me was an invitation that when the, when the boat turns over, we'll get back in the boat together. By the way, did I mention that she wasn't paddling when we, when we flipped over? So when the boat turns over, even if you weren't paddling, we will get back in the boat together. Walk handed, let's walk together. Even when I have a new knee, honey, and you have a new hip, and we limp, we will walk, we will walk and limp together. I was inviting her into a relationship. Enoch, one of the heroes of the Old Testament, the Bible says, walked with God. What's that mean? They had an intimate relationship. And Micah said, come on, guys, don't, he's not looking for lambs and rams and oil and your firstborn. He's looking for, for you to walk with him. Paul Overstreet wrote a country music song that those of you who aren't cultured won't know, but he wrote a great country music song he and Tanya Tucker sang together titled, I Won't Take Less Than Your Love. The last stanza of that country music song reads like this. How much do I owe you, said the man to his Lord, for giving me this day and every day that's gone before? Shall I build a temple? Shall I make a sacrifice? Tell me, Lord, and I will pay the price. And the Lord said, I won't take less than your love. No, I won't take less than your love. All the treasures of the world would never be enough. And I won't take less than your love. And isn't that amazing? That the one who, when there was nothing, spoke and said, let there be light. The one who created the planets, known and yet unknown, wants a personal, intimate relationship with you. I mean, if that, if that doesn't amaze you, Almighty God said, you know, Jeff, and Alan, and John, and Shelley, we, Diane, I, I want a relationship with you. <clears throat> I've, all, I've, I've long loved the story about the, the father and his daughter who, who walked together every morning. Now, the daughter enjoyed it, but, but for the father, it was, it was sacred. 
It was holy time. They, they shared their dreams, and their, their hurts, and their ups and their downs. And, and Daddy looked forward every morning to walking with his daughter. One year for Christmas, she decided that instead of buying him a gift, she would make him a gift with her own hands. She decided she would sew a, an article of clothing with her own hands to give to her dad. She started working on it and re recognized it was going to take longer than she dreamed it would. And, and so she said to her dad, look, we need to, we need to suspend our walks until Christmas. So for a few weeks there, they, they didn't walk. When Christmas rolled around, she presented that, that article of clothing she'd made, and she was so proud. She had made it with love and was so glad to give it to her dad, and her dad loved it, and he was so gracious and kind. But then a little while uh, later, he had to speak his heart. He said, sweetheart, with, with tenderness in his voice, he said, sweetheart, I love, I love what you did for me. But next year, I'd be grateful if you would skip the gift and just walk with me. So should we bring calf? No, no, maybe a lamb. No, a thousand rams. How about rivers of olive oil? Maybe even, Micah's friends said, maybe even we'll present our firstborn children. And Micah said, come on now. You know better than that. He who flung the stars in space wants you to do right by each other. And he wants a, he wants a personal relationship with you. If you're already a follower of Jesus, then you can nurture that relationship with by being here, being here, worshiping him, and being people of prayer, talking to him, and, and reading, his, reading his love letter to you and serving other people. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you can give all that you have and all you are to Jesus. Place your faith, your heart to trust in Jesus. And by God's grace, His unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love, you can enter into a personal relationship as, as mind-blowing as it is with the very creator of the universe. And we invite